Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke from That Film's Tube. My co-host today is Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Today's topic, Doom Patrol Season 1, the series created by Jeremy Carver for DC Universe. Based on the DC Comics superhero team of the same name, the series features Jane, Rita Farr, Vic Stone, Larry Trainer, Cliff Steele, and The Chief as members of the Doom Patrol. This is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Before watching the show, what was your knowledge of the Doom Patrol? Had you read the comics? No, it's uh, it's funny. My knowledge of the Doom Patrol is other than the, who had famously worked on it was that they came out two months before the X-Men in terms of publication history only f- and to be a very similar pro- uh, premise in terms of the world's strangest superheroes and being led by an old professor in a wheelchair. And then for some reason, one taking off and one always slipping by everyone's peripherals which was Doom Patrol. That was the one that slipped by. And even X-Men, it wasn't until the mid-70s that it actually took off, even though it, they debuted back, back in 64, uh, which was, you know, as I said, the same year as Doom Patrol. And it just, for one reason or another, they always were on the fringe, which how they survived as long as they have is surprising. But then you, it allows people like, Recently, Gerard Way, who but his heavily indebted run, Grant Morrison, being able to go as weird as possible to make them stand out. I think it's probably how they're going to have to stay to be relevant to carve a niche. How about yourself? I watched the show as my first real full exposure to these characters. I'd seen them over the years pop up in other things, like whether it's Batman Brave and the Bold, uh, Young Justice, they've appeared in that series, but I'd never actually read the comics. So I didn't know too much about them. And like most, I thought, oh, this is DC's take on the X-Men. Very similar. Clearly one of them is a lot more popular than the other. I mean, When DC Universe announced a Doom Patrol TV series, my thought is, who is this actually for? Like, who actually is a big fan of Doom Patrol? And it's there's so many rich characters on this team or in this world. It's it's fantastic. Like, I was absolutely blown away. I've since gone back and read the first couple of volumes of Grant Morrison's run. And I thought, oh, no, hang on. I did read a couple of issues of Gerard Way's Doom Patrol as part of the Young Animal imprint. And going into the series, I thought that's what they were basing it on. But after reading Grant Morrison's work, this show owes so much to Grant Morrison. Yeah, I even think the character of Crazy Jane was created by Grant Morrison. I think that's how like indebted it is. And they name drop him in uh, episode one, or is it episode two? That's uh, right, he just by... get a name drop. <laughs> um, and even the idea of the character Mr. Nobody, played by Alan Tudyk, it's, it all feels typical Grant Morrison. And although this was DC Comics, it... It was Vertigo, so an imprint of DC Comics, and they were able to go very weird. It's a, it was a more mature label. And, yeah, because I guess you know, the attention for DC was what Superman and Batman and all those guys were doing, Grant Morrison must have just got left alone because he did some weird stuff. And hopefully if you're listening to this, you have watched Doom Patrol Season 1, what you're getting in this show is what Grant Morrison put in the comics in the 80s. And it is just as weird on the page as it is on the show. But before Grant Morrison, the original Doom Patrol first appeared in My Greatest Adventure issue 80 in 1963. 
and was created by writers Arnold Drake and Bob Haney and artist Bruno Premier. Yeah, not huge names in the uh, in the comics pantheon. <laughs> no, but these are the guys that you know. You know, I did hear. I don't know if I heard it in a documentary or read it somewhere, but there was something about DC and Marvel at the time, and then it was found that it was too much of a coincidence that similar ideas were happening sometimes months apart, and apparently it was people going between the offices and overhearing what was discussed. Because what were the odds? of DC to put out Doom Patrol, and then a short time later, X-Men. Yeah, and even with the uh, the taglines, like I believe Doom Patrols was the strangest heroes of all time, whereas X-Men initially in the 60s was the strangest teenagers of all time. I there mean, it was go. like yeah, they had changed a single word. You know, I mentioned the, uh, the Grant Morrison... Um, comics that I read or the collection. It was a Doom Patrol book one where they've collected a couple of volumes of the original trade releases and it collected issues 19 to 34. So just reading that first book, you do get a good idea, the direction of the book. And again, like, I was just so surprised at how much of a straight lift from the comic to the screen they actually made with this show. Uh, the book was written by Morrison, featured arts by Richard Case, John Nyberg, John Braithwaite, Scott Hanna, Carlos Garzon. And the art is fantastic. I think one of the main, one of the main artists um, is Richard Case on the comics that I read. But it, it is, it's a great volume and I will be continuing. There was just almost, there was just only so much Doom Patrol I could consume under a short period of time. Read some of the comics and then did a full rewatch of all 15 episodes for this podcast. Yeah, and to, to speak of that number of episodes, it seems with the DC streaming service, they, they're not going for the typical uh, television format that they do for CW, which at the moment seems to be 22 episodes, which is far too long for a season unless you're going to do multiple story arcs um, but most prestige format tv these days is between 10 to 13 and i'd put that this program doom patrol in that category the um the quality of the the video production the the soundtrack is phenomenal the the music they spent they they reached into their pockets to get um licensed songs for this series which fit the usage wonderfully but 15 episodes is a lot for that but it is one of the first things they did put on their streaming service and i gotta imagine they were like oh, we need 15 we need people turning up for multiple months on end and the only way to do that is to go above 12 so you can get maybe four months out of it i would have thought though that if you know when dc was first starting that they would have put more episodes into Titans, which was a shorter season. Swamp Thing was shorter. And this is, I think this is the longest, the longest show that they've had, or the longest number of episodes per season. And going back to what I said before, just, you know, before seeing the show, just being so surprised, like somebody clearly had faith in this show and thought, you know, there's something here that even like hardcore DC fans aren't aware of yeah and the only thing i can think would be initially maybe they saw um umbrella academy its success but this was in production at the same time they had no idea that was going to be a hit so the fact that a, a, a similar style of story show was in production on another network at the same time they were doing doom patrol I'm like did they know did they have a read of the crowd that they'll superhero fatigue would come in and they needed something off the cuff something Maybe. to balance out titans which is a lot more serious than this is although this hits those dramatic beats hard. it does it does but then at other times and i say other times a lot of the times it's batshit crazy like there is things <laughs> happening in this show you've got 
a character that we'll get to, Admiral Whiskers, Ezekiel, <laughs> a cockroach, Snogging. You know, and yeah. that's your big third act battle. Like this show is just crazy. And we will we'll talk about the characters, but before that, I'll do a quick rundown of the plot, which, to be honest, is pretty basic. I mean, this show is very character-driven, but the plot itself is quite thin, the main plot. The chief is captured by Mr. Nobody, sending the Doom Patrol on the journey to rescue him. Along the way, they discover secrets about themselves and of the chief, whom they eventually learn is responsible for the tragic events that gave them their powers. So again, like everything there, all the meat to the story is the characters. But the actual story, the journey, it's pretty straightforward. The chief has been captured. They need to get him back. Yeah, It's pretty much damsel in distress, but the damsel is a guy. <laughs> yeah, a guy played by Timothy Dalton. He is bloody fantastic in this role. He is, and it's this follows up on the heels of Penny Dreadful, which he was also phenomenal in. And in the last eight, ten years, he's had a really strong resurgence. And this is just, this is his bread and butter now. Mentor role, someone quite intense but intelligent. Um, and he really commands the scenes he's in. And he's got a great voice to go with it as well. You know, I picked up the, the DVD and then after I finished all the episode and did some bloopers, there's one in particular with Dalton and it's a scene where he's passed the chocolate chip pancakes and with him being British, every time he says cookie and he keeps, <laughs> <laughs> he keeps okay, let's do it again. Let's do it again. And he keeps, he keeps anyway, so he's British, but his American accent is very good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's just phenomenal. It's a really interesting look at that kind of a character as well. It's something that Grant Morrison himself did on X-Men with Professor Xavier of taking the long-term mentor and leader of the team and then stripping back the layers to find out that he's a massive piece of shit. You like know, he I, lives in the yeah, gray area. Yeah. The darker yeah. areas of the gray area. <laughs> I did a rewatch of Dark Phoenix last night and they kind of go that way with Xavier there, you know, where he's, you know, he's less about doing the right thing by the mutants and more of a glory hound. But you're right. Morrison was doing that in his new X-Men run where, hang on a minute, maybe squeaky clean Charles Xavier isn't all his scenes. And that's what we get with Chief. Honestly, I think we're going to have many comparisons to X-Men throughout this review because <laughs> they are very similar but then the show itself really doesn't feel like X-Men. You do have Doom Manor and, you know, you can, you know, it's easy to make those connections, but they, you know, whether it's the comics or, or the show itself is they really create its, its own identity. Yeah. And it's almost like Doom Patrol in the comics was a dry run for Morrison taking on X-Men, but, to move away from the X-Men comparison, like you said, these are very different characters. These are not people who their abilities manifest naturally. Something has happened to them. And as you said, in the, in the show, we discover at the like machinations of the chief and the, the, the downsides of their abilities are almost far outweigh the positives, which is completely different from the X-Men for the most part most X-Men guys' abilities are fairly, like, good in the grand scheme of things, with the odd one where it's like a double-edged short sword. Whereas, but on these ones, all of them are horrible. Uh, and if we want to start off with the sort of main character, I'd say, Cliff Steele, Robot Man, he's got no abilities. <laughs> oh, well, he's, he's got... Just He's got strength. He's more than a brain in a robot body. You know, <laughs> I've, I've got to say that not only in this show, but the, the performance by Brendan Fraser, or should I say the voice of Brendan Fraser for the most part, in this show becomes one of my favourite live-action DC characters. He is 
so perfect in this show. He's the, he's the heart of the team. You know, he starts off as a real arsehole. But, wow, what a, what, a, what a character. And visually, it's the comic. Like, they have absolutely nailed the design. Yeah, um, and props as well to Riley Shanahan, who did all the, the physical acting in the costume. Uh, that Brendan Fraser, who had to be on set for to get, because he wanted to get his pacing, his mannerisms, his ideas of what he was doing in any particular scene. But with the two of them bringing together a single character, and it is seamless. And oh yes, you know I I agree completely to the point where I was surprised. I just assumed it was Brendan Fraser, and then finding out that it's two people working together. Yeah, though the movements are are perfect. So hearing that that Fraser was actually on set that does make sense but the the life that is in Frasier's voice you just buy it as a complete character with uh, Shanahan's movements you do get a Crichton red dwarf feel but that's okay yeah. that's how you'd expect a robot man to move you know there's a scene in particular like we get so much drama and heartache when we're seeing Cliff's past and his daughter Clara but there's a bit in particular, like, well, so many bits is Robot Man, where he just has me in stitches. But the funniest thing, and I know it's coming from a place of sadness for the character, but it's Cliff on the bus as Robot Man, and he's driving, and he's just had this big thing, and he's upset, and all these things he can't do. And one of the things he can't do is eat. And just the, it's the noise where he goes to eat some Pringles while he's driving the bus, and it's a noise like... Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> cracks me up every time it, it's just wow like Brendan Fraser I mean he's so funny in so many films ever but then I'd not seen or heard from him in quite a while and for him to pop up in this Robot Man is my favorite character in this whole show yeah yeah absolutely he's as he's the emotional anchor he's the one who has he's not a smart character either he, you know he was a NASCAR driver who was in a horrible wreck and his the only part of him that survived was his brain. But because of that, because of the, you know, the associated backgrounds with a NASCAR driver, probably from the South of the U S uh, you know, when you see him as he was as Brendan Fraser, he's got the mullet, he's overweight, he's yeah. drinky. He's like, he's not the sharpest tool in the shed. And so every, his reaction to almost everything is like, what the fuck? Holy <laughs> shit. He just, he's just completely out of his element yes. all the time. Yeah, it's honestly, like, I mean, we don't even need to like, try and compare. This is easily the DC show with the most bad language. Like, we don't even need to try and find a second. Or a third. No. Like, this takes, takes the top spot. It's, yeah, but it, it just, again, like, because they've made their own thing here. This show did start off, it, we, originally it spun off from Titan season one, didn't it? But then they went yeah. to recast everybody but April Except Balbi played yeah. Rita Fah. She's the only yeah, person they kept on. But then with this show, they've made something completely different. So visually, it's similar to what we've got on Titans, but then they've gone and made their own thing. So you do get some bad language on Titans, like Robin saying things like, you know, fuck Batman, and there's so much more going on. But this show, yeah, like if you had this language in, I don't know, a Superman TV series, you'd be turning it off. But as this as Doom Patrol, it's just perfect. Yeah, and these are the the uh, funnily enough, maybe the most British in terms of their use of language. Like I've watched so many shows like um, Misfits and The Inbetweeners and stuff like that, and I just I associate that kind of casual use of bad language with British series. But Honestly, that's not what we've got yeah. here. Grant Morrison, it's, you know, Scottish and he's, honestly, his DNA is all over this show. It really is. Like, yeah, this um, show doesn't exist without his Doom Patrol comments yeah, in this film. And really, the, and the focus of all of that Morrison-esque craziness is Crazy Jane, played by Diane Guerrero, who has... 64 separate personalities, each one of them with a different superpower. Yeah, and when we get to see the underground, like, was not prepared for that. Incredible. Like, the way that they show us, there's the train, the tunnel, and then there's all the characters. And then only one can go up at a time. 
Yeah, and they they freak out when someone else has gone up. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. like, what, what? No one's at the wheel. What's going on? You and of all the personalities you see, you don't see all of them in this first season, which is probably smart because you'd be having to invent reasons to see each different personality. But what you do see, the ones that you see, you see them often generally. Yeah, and they all work. You have hammerhead who's this i get super strong and basically a psycho <laughs> and is immediately into like fighting you have karen who is oh yeah karen <laughs> the 90s rom-com love obsessed like ditzy blonde who puts keeps putting spell on the same guy because that's her ability is a love spell uh, but it doesn't work on robot man because cliff isn't a robot so he it doesn't affect his like biology <laughs> You know, this is an example of how the show are able to keep bringing back Brendan Fraser. Like you can see him, like when he's in the underground, is another example of that. So it's not just flashbacks where we get to see Brendan Fraser playing the part. Yeah, it's any time reality gets altered, or it's a memory, or it's um, something alternate, because it's how he sees himself is as his person because it's his mind that's how he remembers things but then you got that visual way starts ripping off the flesh in his robot man underneath yeah <laughs> yeah really great <laughs> uh and diane guerrero does an amazing job she's got to do so many different characters uh and each of them one of them have to be identifiable they do a subtle thing of like a shimmer across her face whenever yeah. she's changing from one to the other um and some of them will have visual indicators like you've got hammerhead who has the like the chest tattoo and scar above her lip um you have baby doll who has the pigtails yeah uh, so there's usually a visual indicator but she still has to change uh sometimes in the same scene like as she turns from one person to another as a different character and it's it's got to be really hard for the actress to maintain that and change up the way she moves for each character as well and she does a phenomenal job yeah for the most part it is the actress Guerrero or Guerrero yeah she does a fantastic job you know she was in a recent DC animated movie as well she played uh, Green Lantern in Justice League versus the Fatal Five Uh, Jessica Cruz she played her all right wow it's what DC do if they cast someone in one thing often they'll do it again in another thing yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, then moving on from her, you've got Cyborg, Victor Stone, played by, uh, I think it's Joyvan Wade, yes. who's the most confident member of the team because he is an actual superhero. He's a fully-fledged superhero, and he's been training for this for five years, and he, this is like his weird side trip because things have happened. You know, before watching the show, like hearing that his character was going to be a part of it and not knowing too much more than having an idea who the Doom Patrol was, this seemed a bit like stunt character casting. Like, let's That's put, what I thought. Let's put Cyborg in here. We've got him in Teen Titans Go on the small screen. We've got him in Justice League on the big screen. Let's put him live action in Doom Patrol. And it felt like it, you know, again, before watching the show, that they just shoehorned him in. But holy crap, I cannot imagine this series without his character. He's so integral. Yeah, because especially the early episodes, he's the only one who's trying to push the point forward. Everyone's like, it will sort itself out. Look, Cyborg's here. We don't even have to do anything. Like, Especially with Rita Farr and um, Larry Trainer, they're both like, yep, stay home. Like, let, yep. let this is someone else's problem. And it takes half a season for them to really actually start to move forward kind of against their own wills. Um, yeah, but it's, it's especially the first five episodes, it's Cyborg pushing the agenda. And he does a great job. Um, he really does. The prosthetics are serviceable. I prefer this than going full digital like they do with the Justice League film. And I prefer oh, this. Up. I prefer this to what we've got in Smallville. Remember that? Remember yeah. Smallville? Where, you know, the guy yeah, put something into his arm? 
<laughs> yeah, and otherwise it's just a tracksuit. Um, where he tries to keep yeah. clothes on the whole time because that chest piece does look awkward, but you can tell the actor's wearing it the whole time, though. He, he is. He's wearing he is. it every episode um, because you've got to get that shape correct. It's the world. It's the tone of the show. So I just go with it. But before the show aired and they put out the promo piece, even in the show at times, like the headpiece, it doesn't fit the shape of his head like it does in the comics, like it does in Justice League, the movie. So it kind of like it's a bit bulkier, but when you're watching the show, like you, for me anyway, I, I just buy it. Like it's just it's a part of a part of this world. So th- so the visual works with for the most part. Like you say, it's got the the chest plate, then it's got the eyepiece. They've got the CGI cannon that comes out of his arm, but other than that, he's wearing a tracksuit, Adidas, which is quite yeah odd for a DC adaptation. Normally they don't go for brands, whereas They've specifically chosen to put him in a red Adidas tracksuit, but it works. Yeah, and you know, it's believable. This is someone who, what are the odds that if you would have replaced part of someone's brain and get a computer in there and an eye and Wi Fi and all the other stuff, it's not going to be able to perfectly mesh in with a person's head, at least not version 1.0, maybe version 3.5. Or moving forward, like you know, it's, it's some as he upgrades and tech improves, it will get more streamlined. Which you know, in real life, would be better prosthetics. But it's hard; it's really hard. But it does work. I um, I never looked at his prosthetics, and it drew me out of the episode or out of the shot. It just well, his his character, like there's there's so much drama. Like he's mourning the death of his mother. He was responsible. His dad. Silas Stone, played by Phil Morris, you know, saved his life, turned him into Cyborg. But there's just, even when he's looking the way that he does, like Cyborg's interacting with his dad, and he's got so much trauma, like like all the team do. And you just look yeah. past the visuals. You just you're seeing you're seeing the performances. And Phil Morris, like he's no stranger to DC as well. Like he was uh, Martian Manhunter in Smallville. Uh, John Stewart in the Justice League animated series. You know, this guy has been around DC for a long time. And in this, you know, he gives a really strong performance as Silas Stone. Yeah. And as the overbearing father of Cyborg, who it, you know, it's, it's, it's his tip. It's his dad mode. The fact that his son is now a cyborg and a superhero doesn't change his parenting style from when he was a football player. It's still the same sort of overbearing you know, holding back praise dynamic that he's always had, which you, which you can tell. And naturally it rubs Cyborg the wrong way and creates mistrust. Cause he's like, he doesn't even trust me to do normal stuff. And I don't think he's telling me the truth. And, you know, as you find out later on, he's right. Not as, not as badly as he thought, but he was holding back the full truth of his tragic origin. Just love that the show keeps you guessing. You never quite, just like Cyborg, you never quite trust that you, that you know everything. And there's twists and turns, and you're right, it turns out that what Mr. Nobody was saying to Cyborg or showing him didn't really happen. Like his dad did care for him. But then you find out that something else was going on. But yeah, like... I can't remember watching a show like this based on a DC comic where all the characters were just so tragic. Yeah, you usually have the comic relief and there's usually one of them. You have the serious one, you have the 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 like team leader who's usually quite grounded, like a Superman type who helps helps move everything forward but in this one yeah every single character is tragic in some way like larry trainer negative man he's uh in a fighter pilot uh, or test pilot in the 60s looking to get himself to the astronaut program the mercury moon missions but he's gay and that whole thing, especially in the 60s, could have completely derailed not just his dreams, but his entire life because it was illegal at the time. And, you know, here it, the show takes place 60 years later, like, because that's the current day. 
and he's never addressed those feelings or come to terms with it and it happens over the course of the show and it's like man no wonder you're like so broken you you've you checked out of living even before the accident <laughs> we've got two actors playing larry we've got matthew zuck who is the i guess he's negative man and then yep. Matt Bomer plays Larry Trainer in flashbacks and all the sequences and also and does the voice. It's always voice. him yeah. doing the voice. So very similar, well, the same as uh, Janahan and Frazier for Robot Man. And yeah, like a really engaging backstory. And, you know, like the other characters, like none of them are similar. The, the backstories are so very, very different. You know, they all get brought to the same place, but what takes them, you know, the journey is just so different. And this is a guy, like you say, you know, he was in love with another man. They couldn't be together. Trainer was married. He had children. And yeah, he just his life was just on hold for 60 years. And he was just just there. Like he wasn't really living. Yeah, and the the voice, again, it this it's the physical performance and the voice acting is seamless, but Matt Bowman's voice there's there's a really strong quality of pain to it of maybe not pain but fatigue like his hot he's just i just i'm done like can i go to bed like that's how every delight delivers everything and he's the only one who really makes quippy one-liners that yeah, never true. land yeah. and no one ever laughs at his jokes even you know, though I think they're great yeah no we too and like robot man you know this performance negative man it's as if it's one performance yeah, and his look is phenomenal as well. The nailed it. The, like, the way, the yeah, <laughs> the way the bandages are wrapped, um, the the jacket and coat. It's got to be hard. I got to imagine they have to adjust that costume every shot because of the way it must be put on. But it works so well. Um, yeah. well that's obviously something Matt Bomer didn't need to worry about. Yeah, that, that was the other guy's yeah. problem. Like, yeah. Um, really really phenomenal job uh and that then you get the final member of the team rita far alas the woman yeah i'm glad we talked about her yeah i mentioned her at the beginning <laughs> and then we kind of yeah. like just breezed past her but yeah like again like at face value i thought oh this is a mr fantastic type she stretches that's her thing but holy crap no there's so much more going on with this character and yeah, like she, she's got it hard. Yeah, and you know, from classic golden era Hollywood, the there's there's a scene later on in the show where yes, after the accident, she's still trying to get work. She's still trying to live that Hollywood style at life, but her stars dwindled because of uh, her having to leave the role in which she gets the infection that makes her stretchy and. Uh, gelatinous amorphous blob and she goes to a Hollywood producer to kind of get a role and it's the casting couch and you're like oh this is exceptionally poignant given the time of release which was for the show it started early 2019 when the Me Too movement was in full swing and you're like oh like you know pointing out that this was this wasn't a big thing in Hollywood, especially at the time. Like, and her, her tragic backstory is well, that to continue getting roles long past where she was, people were calling on, on the merits of her ability. She was basically feeding young actresses to this producer. Yeah. You're like, Ugh, very ah, icky, icky, icky stuff. And you know, April Bowlby. I think before this, her biggest role was. Two and a Half Men, where oh, she really? was a long-term love interest of, not Charlie Sheen, of the other one, the useless uh, brother. Oh, but she was right. Like this, right. Yeah, she was the ditzy, ridiculously hot girlfriend of his, like, long-term, and then eventually he fails to step up and uh, get engaged and marry her, even though that's what she wants, because he doesn't trust that it's real. And that and then she was on that show for years. 
Um, okay, you, you threw me then. I, I was, I thought, are we talking Doom Patrol or Two and a Half Men? Yeah, I've only seen yeah. bits of that show. So right, okay, so Alan, John Cryer, yes, yes, the current Lex yeah. Luthor in the Arrowverse. Got you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. But she does. I mean, the way they do her hair and makeup. I mean, it screams fifties Hollywood starlet. And her oh, poise. Yeah, she looks. Yeah. Perfect for the era. And then when you do see her suit up in the red costume, she looks great. Yes, yeah. good. And it still gloves, looks period correct. Yeah. That's right. Um, it's yeah, it's really well. All her wardrobe is still the stuff from her the fifties. I think that also helps sell it for her that she's she hasn't moved on. Her she's still thinking of classic Hollywood and that style. There's there's no jeans, there's no um, button up shirts. It's all like summer dresses and outfits and uh, head scarves. Even when she's doing housework, <laughs> she still looks like she's ready to you know play in her next scene. Um, and yes, yeah, some. Some really interesting stuff, and she she goes through the ringer over the course of the season. Yeah, she does. Like just when you know her morning routine, when she's getting herself ready, like she wakes up and she's a blob, just becoming humanoid again or looking human, and then that's like her morning morning routine. And then every night she just reverts back. And yeah, it's you know they've all got you know hard lives, but we've got to talk about the big bad in this show. And wow, what a performance we get from Alan Tudyk as Mr. Nobody, also known as Eric Morden. Yeah, he. Uh, I, I love Alan Tudyk. I love yeah, everything he ever appears in. <laughs> I think um, everybody does. <laughs> he's, whether it's voice work, whether it's, or if it's a full character and performance like you get here, he always brings his A game. He has such great range. Um, like, he can go big and loud and ridiculous and st- still believable which mr nobody that's his whole shtick i mean he create he's the fourth wall breaking supervillain that narrates the show and the heroes and gets pissy at him for not taking his narration as direction it's perfect it's so good it's perfect casting i mean his narration literally saves the day in the finale like it, yeah it comes it comes down to his narration and perfect delivery from Tudyk, you know, you mentioned his voice work. He's voiced Superman before in Justice League War. Uh, he's in another DC show, Powerless, at the sitcom that ran for one season. He played Van Wayne, Bruce Wayne's cousin. So yeah. He's been around DC, but he he is great in this. Like He he really is. And like you're saying, breaking the fourth wall, like there's a bit where he's wearing a DC cap with a logo and he's got a Doom Patrol t-shirt. He's, yeah, and he's like, like the the merchandise drop. It's so crazy on the nose, and that's the point. He goes, "This is the show we'll promise." And he's sat and he's sat next to like the big poster of what would have been got in the magazine prints and everything with all the characters and the actors on it. And you're like, "It's it's so smart. It's so well done." Did Did you notice in that scene though? It pokes out Cyborg's face. Yeah, because like <laughs> he's like, "Oh, he's not part of the Doom Patrol anymore. He's left." Yeah, he's out done. he goes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like wow, Tudyk brings so much to this. I love him in everything. I, I really do. I can't think of one performance of his I've not liked. He's always fantastic, and he's bringing something to this because you know he's the goofy villain, um, but he's really menacing. And just how they were able to adapt the visual from the comic to this, like in in the comic, he's drawn completely black. It's abstract, but then how they're able to portray that in here where his body's breaking apart. It's, it's a fantastic visual. Yeah. Um, and the uh, nature of his abilities, which are hard to define. It seems to be reality distorting. Um, but, and that makes him stupid powerful. Like he should be unstoppable, which I mean, let's face facts for the, almost the entire runtime of the series. He is. Like, even when they talk to other superheroes and other groups, they're like, oh, you going off against nobody? Yeah, nah, don't. <laughs> the, the immediate response is, yeah, don't. Don't go up against him. You, you know, just, just, the Niles is gone now. See ya, bye-bye. It's, it's, one of those, it's one of those Dick Dastardly types. You know, I always thought when watching Wacky Races, if Dick Dastardly didn't cheat, 
He had the fastest car, he had the skill, he would win the race every time. But because he cheats, he comes last. And that's Mr. Nobody. He's got all the power and the know-how, but he just gets in his own way the whole time, overcomplicates things. Yeah, and that's what, in the the penultimate episode, which ironically they call Penultimate Patrol, episode 14, you actually get his backstory, which is he used to work for the Brotherhood of Evil, which they make the joke a lot about the uh, human brain in a computer or a robot like throughout the series. But the brain replaces him with a gorilla who talks French, who he's talking about brain and brawn from DC Comics and who were like big members of the uh, the Injustice Legion of Doom. League. Yeah, Legion, League of Doom. Or Legion of Doom. And you even see brains, the brains chassis in the the original Doom Patrol's like trophy room. Like it's this again. Yeah. Um but he got fired and you know just fired. He doesn't get murdered or anything because they think he's completely incompetent. And because of that, his girlfriend breaks up with him. And that's what leads him to prove her wrong because she calls him a nobody because that's what he'll always be to go get the procedure to become Mr. Nobody. Like, ah, even his backstory, it's, it's petty, but it's still like has, you know, some tragic themes running through it. And he spends, you know, six, again, 60, 70 years trying to get back at the person he blames for it happening. Uh, and he, he initially succeeds and then completely forgets like, oh, the girl. I forgot to get revenge on the girl. And that kind of undoes him in the end. Yeah. Because he's the, 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 the warm fuzzies from winning don't last. Yeah, you mentioned him getting experimented on. There's another reoccurring character, um, Animal Vegetable Minimal Man. This is a character <laughs> that pops up throughout the season, uh, played by Alec Mapper. And yeah, he's got a dinosaur head on his shoulder. Like, it's ridiculous, but it's part of this world and you just completely go along with it. And another character with crazy powers, explain this one, Jay, Lex Mentallo. What can he I do? actually, <laughs> he has, I have it written down. It's like mystical muscle powers where by flexing muscles at a specific frequency or distortion they do separate things so like like you'd strike a pose in like a a mr olympia competition to show off certain muscles like rear double bicep or something like that when he hits them they do different things cut through to a different reality like you know like influence a tree to bring a kitten out of the tree or like whatever he's <laughs> he's such he's so strange but he's so like he's i'm certain he was actually in the comics a comic book character brought into the real world by some purpose uh, and it's kind of a joke they make in the show where when they come across danny the street a whole other thing he oh, yeah. is missing out of his own comic book ad. Right, yes. And I'm like, true. yeah. is that a reference to the comics where he was a comic book character and brought into the real world? You know, I remember um, years ago reading that comic of Flex Mantello that Grant Morrison did with Frank Quality, but I didn't realize it was connected to Doom Patrol. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, he's... By the time he comes along and they have his abilities and stuff, like you've so much, seen so much other craziness on this show, you're just like, yeah, cool, yeah, all right. I, I saw yeah. a sentient <laughs> street, uh, like we, uh, you know, non-gender specific street, who has all these weirdos and has a, a constant cabaret, peeping toms, you know, constant pa- cabaret with drag queens and um, karaoke and all sorts well, of stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's just, it's just, <laughs> yeah, of course, of what course about- you do. The bit where all the characters are together, they found Danny again, and he flexes the wrong muscle. And everybody <laughs> everybody has an orgasm. And then Robot Man is giving one of those, what the fuck, moments. Yeah. But then he, he pretends to join in, so he fakes an orgasm. To be... 
Oh, yeah, so he can blend in. Oh, it's so great. It's so phenomenal. Yeah. And, I yeah, love it, that Jane always calls him out on his shit. She always yeah. calls him out. It's like, wait, were you, you don't feel, were you faking? And yeah, and her immediate response to everything is motherfucker and like just try and beat the shit out of them. But yeah, it's it's great. The team dynamic as it, as it eventually comes together, you know, that family dynamic of, they do like each other, but they also kind of can't stand each other. Um, you know, for, for Cliff, Jane is the daughter he lost due to his accident. Um, and it's simply platonic, but he's like, he, I guess he's like, I can do right. I need to do right by this one person. And even when everything goes shitty and she's like taking drugs to not feel and he's there delivering food and watching after over her because he's he cares and he's got nothing else to do you're like oh man this show yeah well towards the end of the season there's a tender moment where you know they're having their usual banter he's trying to get close she's pushing him away something said she goes quiet and cliff puts his hand on her shoulder and he just holds it there and she doesn't pull away and she just allows him to do that and the rest of the team join join them and it was such a great moment yeah, and it's earned. You know, they they spend so much because it's all character driven. They spend so much time putting in the the legwork to build to a moment like that. And yeah, it this this show's great. Watch it. It is ridiculous. <laughs> it is batshit insane. Um, but it's it's worth the trip. It's it's unlike anything else on television. <laughs> You know, I just want to give a quick shout out to Curtis Armstrong. He voices Ezekiel the Cockroach. And he's got a really recognizable voice. But what do we know him from? Is he Revenge of the Nerds? It's yep. one of those. Oh, okay, there you go. So I knew it was one of those types of movies. So he's someone that has been away for a while. And then all of a sudden, here he is playing a supervillain in a DC show. Yeah, the, the uh, scripture, like, believing doomsayer cockroach um which is funny because in supernatural he played uh the arch the angel uh, he's like the scribe of god who writes everything down um and here and also from supernatural you have um julian richings who earlier on played Heinrich von fuchs the crazy nazi scientist who made mr nobody in the ah. weird puppet control episode which was awesome the puppets the automatons everything about that episode was great i thoroughly enjoyed it he in was also utopia um, he, he was in the opening of man of steel as well the guy you're talking about yeah yeah um Really, you have to watch this show. They have the Bureau of Normalcy, which is a government agency of stamping out things that are odd, like that are not normal and like enforcing some kind of weird conservative view of what is normal. It's, it's insane. It's completely insane. You know, there's another supernatural connection as well. We've got Mark Shepard as Kipling. He's the John Constantine type. Oh yeah, he's fantastic. In this. Yeah, he's fantastic in everything. Yeah, he's like, really. Yeah, smoking, he's drinking, boozing, and everything out of his mouth seems like nonsense because he deals in chaos magic, and you just okay. Yeah, sure, of course. It all it all fits. His character fits with the other characters. They're all as bonkers as each other. We've touched on the costumes already. It's only really Rita Far elastic woman that we see suited up in the red outfit everybody else is wearing civilian clothing but we do get that flashback episode of doom doom patrol where we get to see the originals and again another tragic story with them but they at least give us a fully suited superhero team yeah and the designs straight from the era as well they're all very clean cut um you know, neckline to wrist to ankle and just two two colors red and white juged up with a belt there's no symbol or anything that denotes that the doom patrol there's basically just i guess the style of the cut 
it's about as brand on brand as you get. Um, but they look phenomenal. You have the psychic guy with the daggy helmet, but it looks great. It really works. I, you know, it's the all of the costumes feel specific. Like with Cliff, the main thing with him is it's a it's the same leather jacket, which is straight off the page. The torn jeans that allow his knee joints to move, and the boots. And the only thing that ever changes on his is a t-shirt. Sometimes it's an official band shirt. Most of the time, it's a plain T-shirt that he's hand-drawn with, like, a, a permanent marker, some some line of, like, some catchphrase or something on there. The T-shirt is a great touch. Like, it's a, it's a great design that I think that did come from the Morrison era. Before that, Robot Man, it was just, it looked essentially like a naked Robot Man. That was the original design. So what they have in the show, I think, is a really good look for the character. Yeah, and as someone as someone who's a person in a in a robot body, it's the sort of small thing you do to try and fit in with everyone else. Like they're already going to draw look at you because you're tall, and you're clearly not a person. You stand out, but you want to minimize that. And normal clothes is the only way to do it. Anything else you put on you is going to make you stand out worse, unless it's normal clothing. Um. Like yeah. Jane is just a variation of blacks. <laughs> yeah. Different emo y punky garb, which fits perfectly with Cliff. Um Larry always wears the same coat, the same green um uh turtleneck with the same pants, which is a great look. It's you don't have to do anything else. It is a great look, but you know it just reminded me. Uh, when we were talking about his character in this show earlier, the fact that he's gay and he's, he was never comfortable coming out, that is different to what Grant Morrison had in the comics. When he is negative man, he's actually made up of three. You've got Larry, the, the energy entity, and a female doctor. Ah. And when they merge, from that moment on, negative man is a lot more feminine in the comics. So it's, it's as if that's what they've adapted for the series, you know, in a different direction, but that's, you know, kind of where the character was there. And this is what we have here. No, yeah, very interesting. You know, we've, um, I think it works though. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it does. Like, you know, what they've done in the show that like, works um, brilliantly for all the characters, uh, the, the, the special effects, like this is, you know, it's, it's an incredible show, you know, like visually, because at times it looks expensive, at times it looks a little bit cheap. But you know, whether, whether it's expensive or cheap, it fits the story that they're telling. And there's just so many big, bombastic ideas in here. But when I was looking at making some notes for things to talk about with the special effects, I wrote, the butts are loose. <laughs> Holy yeah. crap. The, I mean, terrifying absolutely terrifying anyway we've got these butts on legs but one little in particular yeah one yeah one in particular is running and it's got somebody's arm sticking out where they've eaten him yeah 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 they're like, oh, taken ripped off someone's arm it's still sticking out of his, his mouth and the mouth opens along the cheeks it's a vertical mouth it's, not a horizontal one it's horrible and then you've got that the the army general and he gets the call the butts are loose Kills himself. Like, he's yeah. like, he's like, yeah, it's I'm over. out. <laughs> it, it is over. But, um, but yeah, you know, visually, you know, there's some impressive things in here. You had the, the mother and father where they were bringing up their kid. They were writing on him and he thought it was going to be a hero. And again, this is all from the comics. And he thought it was going to be a hero, save the world, where in actual fact, you know, it was to bring about evil. The dad tries to help him, gets his throat cut. And then they're in the snow globe in chief's office. And they're in this fantastical world. Ah, oh, it's just bonkers. It's just bonkers. And, and the dad's constantly dead with his, his throat cut, but then the mum is ruling beside him. It is insane. Yeah, and they look show. like Punch and Jude. <laughs> yeah, it's just absolutely um, bonkers. 
the score, like the, the music is absolutely fantastic. Now, there is two composers. So I don't know who does what. I don't know who to credit for the Doom Patrol theme, which I absolutely love. And they use it perfectly. And they do a thing here that often gets missed from superhero adaptions, whether it's film or TV. Give the team their signature theme so you know something's about to happen, like what John Williams did for Superman. And they use it frequently, but I really like it whenever we hear the Doom Patrol theme. And so we've got two composers. We have Clint Mansell. He is yep. a composer known for the movies Black Swan, The Fountain, and Moon. And we also have Kevin Kinner. He is known for his work on CSI Miami, Narcos Mexico, also Star Wars Rebels. I think that's where we know him from. Like He did the yeah. theme on that show and, and the score. So they're the two composers that are working on this show. Yeah, I think the main thing would be Clint Mansell. Um, he's known, he also did uh, the the theme song, oh, what's the movie? It's the same director as The Fountain. Um, they use it on fan trailers all the time. Um, so it's Darren Afrosky. Uh, no? Yeah. Aronofsky? Yeah. That's his, it's tricky to say, but yes. <laughs> the director of yeah, The Fountain uh, and Black Swan. Yeah. Um, so another and one of Yeah. And and he's known for those big, large scores. He actually does. He's done a bunch of video game work as well, Clint Mansell, including the Mass Effect series. Oh, I'd imagine cool. that he's the one who does the main theme, you and then the editing from nice. episode to episode is the uh, is Kinnear from Rebels. Uh, but that's something tricky when you're taking other people's work and feeding it in on an episode basis to hit tone. It's it, being able to create something from scratch. Yes, congratulations! It takes a massive amount of talent. I'd say it takes equal talent at least to then work those into a story each week. Like it's such a it's such an important part of any series or any film, even any any medium, whether it's video games, uh, movies, television, to have a score that hits the emotional temper. Or, or timber of the scene and not impose and distract you from what's happening. And they, he, they do a phenomenal job on the show. Oh, it's fantastic. You know, I looked into it. You can't actually buy the soundtrack. You can buy iTunes. They have uh, the Matt Bomer track, you know, the song that he sings in oh, the yeah. club. You can buy that as a single, but they've not made the, the soundtrack available. Because honestly, like watching it, it is such a good score and really compliments the show. So I was a bit disappointed that to find it wasn't available. But yeah, it works very well. I think we've touched on a lot of the episodes, but I think we finish off by talking about the, the finale, Ezekiel Patrol, and that, I think it'd be a good capper to the conversation. In the wake of the Chief's revelation, the members of the Doom Patrol go on their separate ways, when Mr. Nobody hatches a new plan. The team must reunite to help the Chief with a new unexpected and weird threat to the world. So yeah, this is which... where we get our big fight, our big superhero battle. That I think, I really, was it the episode before? Mr. Nobody teased it. This is what you're here to see, the big battle, and we get it here in episode 15. Yeah, and it's... Essentially, it takes place in a painting, which I it was a Grant Morrison storyline. They ate, the, I think, a nod, the painting that ate Paris. Whereas this one, it takes the the entity Danny the Street, um, where the chief's daughter has been hiding out all of this time, who has, I guess, also reality altering powers. It's never explained. But she, yeah, she's referred to as being one of the most powerful among them. Yep. Um, and Mr. Nobody teams up with Admiral Whiskers, a smart rat who initially wants just revenge on Cliff for running over his mother in the bus. And 
Ezekiel the cockroach, uh, and they make it like a, a superhero team to to exact this revenge because Mister Nobody has felt unfulfilled from just getting his revenge on Calder, and then remembers I didn't do anything about his daughter because Niles Calder's reason for expect. Uh, creating all the mischief on everyone as we find out in the, the episode previous is he's looking to become uh to just to extend his life to live longer than his daughter to keep her safe that is all which i was sitting there wondering but you must have done it you haven't aged a day since 1913 yeah no what? that's a good point he really <laughs> hasn't aged and they never explain it they like that he never ages like but he hasn't aged everyone else you see the original doom patrol who don't look like they've aged and then when the the veil is pulled back and you see them like oh no, no, no. <laughs> they've aged that was they've aged an illusion so yes he's yeah looking at saving his daughter dorothy spinner we see her from the back but we know from promo arts that she's going to be a main character in in season two but yeah, you have the big fight, all the heroes, they shrink down. And oh no, they don't shrink down. The, 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 I watched this tonight. I watched the finale tonight. Yeah. It's uh, Admiral Whiskers is big, the cockroach is big. They all go inside the cockroach for protection from the destructive blast. And then when they are Which saved, is going to be Larry. Larry's yes. negative energy produces radiation and because. Ezekiel's a cockroach, they will be protected inside of him because of the radiation resistance. So when they're back at Doom Manor, Larry is full size, but Doom Patrol are still small. And that's yep. where it ends. And that's why episode one of season two is called Fun Size Patrol. That's yeah. <laughs> that episode, which I think is perfect. So that's right. Yes. Yeah. So they, and the, when they're rescued on the outside, in the back in the real world, they're still small. And that's where the show leaves us. Now, season two is set to premiere on June 25th this year. In the US, it's going to be on both DC Universe and HBO Max. So that's the first, and it's the only DC Universe show that will also air on HBO Max. Here in Australia, we got season one on Fox 8. So I'm, I'm assuming Foxtel is where it's going to go for the second season. Now we yep. did. Uh, hopefully we get it. Not sorry to cut you off. Hopefully we get it around the same time as the US as well, because uh-huh. I believe for this first season, it wasn't until it had completely finished airing in the US that it finally started airing weekly on Fox eight, which was odd because all the spoilers were online. Yeah. No, they did. They did come to it late. It just, it seemed like a Fox 8, they've had like all the Arrowverse shows, but then all of a sudden they said, Hey, we're going to have Doom Patrol. We're going to have Swamp Thing. We're going to have, what was the other one? Pennyworth. Like they were airing all those shows. They just came out of nowhere. I think Pennyworth was on there. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. The, Titans was on Netflix. Oh, that's yeah. That's yeah. Good point. Young Justice season three, still not out on any platform from my oh. knowledge ridiculous still us only they need to do something about that i'm hoping i think we've had this conversation before that if hbo max can be worldwide dc universe just gets put on there but for the time being we just need to wait like harley quinn the animated series sci-fi channel i've got that but anyway we don't need to get pumped down and all that this is an arrowverse connection now this is not of course an arrowverse show but the continuity makes a cameo appearance in the crossover event Crisis on Infinite Earths. According to that, it states that Doom Patrol takes place on Earth 21, which is interesting because it's a different Earth that is designated to Titans, where I mentioned earlier we've got Doom Patrol as a potential spin-off. So it's almost as if by doing that on Crisis, the saying the cast of the Doom Patrol in Titans is still the ones that we've seen. So if they appear again, it's not going to be Brendan Fraser as Robot Man. So there you go. It's a different Earth. But it was great seeing Doom Patrol turn up at the end of Crisis because it was showing, um, in case you've not seen Crisis, I don't want to spoil it too much, but you'll see 
other versions of world characters from DC TV and film, and they're all being very heroic, doing something dramatic. And then it cuts to Doom Patrol, and they're outside Doom Manor, having a dance, just dicking about. And it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 so, it's so on brand. It really, really is. Okay, so the rating of Doom Patrol season one out of five. I'll let you go first, Jack. I I really enjoyed this. Um, binging it as I did, um, it worked for me. I mean, it's probably smarter to go one episode a day rather than multiple episodes a day, except for the few that really tie are two-parters. But I gotta, I've got to put it like four out of five. It is really enjoyable. It, as I said earlier, it's not the tone of show I can get anywhere else. There's just nothing else like it. And it's a really good break from the general superhero fare. It is very heavy with the emotions, which is probably why it's better to space it out a little bit than smash through it as I did over a couple of days. But it is, it is great. The performances, everyone, everyone is great. There's not a weak link among them. And um, it's definitely, you know, for those who maybe are a little bit tired of the regular superhero fair, this, this is the lane. This is, this is, especially if you've watched Umbrella Academy, absolutely watch this. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great recommend and a good comparison. We've not talked about it, but this, this show very much lives just like Titans in the DC universe. Like so often they'll mention Justice League, The Flash, Batman, Superman. You know, they mention all these guys. I love the fact that even though you don't see them, it is a lived in DC universe. I had so much fun both times watching this show and then, you know, going back and or reading for the first time Grant Morrison's comics as a good primer for my big rewatch. My first time I watched it as it aired each week. Or as we got it made available each week and then just binged it on you know using the the dvds i picked up it's it's a lot of fun and it's really unlike anything else as you've said like you know if you want something that is different than the usual comic book heroics but you want to stick with dc this show is is perfect for you and again robot man love him as a character and yeah, this show is just so much fun. Like yourself, I'm going to come in at a, a four out of five. And we don't know when we're going to get it, but I am looking forward to season two. Me as well. I, I can't wait. Well, that's it for our episode all about Doom Patrol season one. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming show, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. Jay, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. As always, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.